want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. My guest today has been through an incredibly arduous and brave journey. She speaks to us openly and candidly. Alice Swuck is a writer, mom, wife, and three-time survivor of stage four colon cancer. Three times. A former actress and singer, she transitioned to screenwriting with her lifelong best friend, Cassie Tabano. They've seen their films on, and you've seen their films, on Disney+, Hallmark, Lifetime, UPTV, Netflix, and Amazon. In addition to her work as a screenwriter, Allie also founded Principal Productions, an L.A.-based production company whose focus is on creating addictive content, including The Lone Star Christmas, which premieres on Lifetime starting today, December 14th, 2020. In this episode, you'll learn the power of persistence, focusing on joy even in the darkest of times, and how to manifest through adversity. This is the Creative Soul Plumber Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Today, we have an amazing guest who has had a phenomenal journey, healing journey that she's going to take us through and on. I had the fortune of knowing Allie Years ago, Allie, I think, we did a reading that I directed that you were in. I don't even know how many years ago this was now. So many. At least five or six. Oh, at least. Well, it was right before the 2016 election, I feel like. So oh. because because it was the it was the first gentleman, right? So it yeah. was and it was before Hillary had run. So maybe she was about to run. So maybe 2014 or 15. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The first gentleman was the, was the project. We got to know each other there a little bit, but your life has taken huge turns since then. So why don't you start at the very beginning? I will. So yeah, not long, I guess, you know, within a couple of years after we met, I started having some sort of weird side pains and ended up going to the the doctor for it. And she says, actually, this is sort of hilarious. She's like, sort of calmly, like, I think you might be having, after she asked me all the questions, she's like, I think you might be having an aortic aneurysm and you should probably go to the emergency room right now. You can drive yourself. I think it's okay but you should probably go right now. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I go over, luckily it's like right across the street from my doctor's office. I go over there, they do, you know, the tests and the, and the imaging and all of that. And they discover that uh, it looks like I have gallstones. So they take out, they have like an emergency gallbladderectomy. There's a word for it, but it's like long and has a lot of C's and H's in it. And it's hard to pronounce. Um, so I have my gallbladder out and it seems to help, but then like later that year, so that was like summer of 2016. So later that year, I started having these like really crazy lower abdominal pains and I'm like, 
they seem to be sort of uh, related to something that I've eaten. You know, if I eat like something fatty, like a croissant, stuff I don't have that often. And I'm like, okay, Allie, you don't have a gallbladder anymore. You can't digest fats. You can't eat that stuff anymore. So I didn't really think anything of it because it seemed to have an explanation. Um, so that would happen every once in a while over the next year. I also, over the course, at the end of that year, I'm going to the bathroom. And, you know, once they all hear what's going on, they'll understand why we've talked about bathroom stuff. You know, I look at toilet paper, as you do, and there's blood on the toilet paper. And I was like, oh, well, that's never good. So I call, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I call the nurse hotline for my health insurance company because, you know, my doctor is going to be on call. And I figured, figured this is like immediate. And she's like, well, do you have hemorrhoids? And I said, well, I have kids. So yes, of course I have hemorrhoids. And she's like, okay, well, it's bright red. So, and it's, is it stopped? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, it's probably just the first hemorrhoid. So, you know, just keep an eye on it. She did not say you should talk to your doctor about it tomorrow. You should immediately go get that checked out. I wish that she had. <laughs> so that seemed explained. Oh, it's that pesky hemorrhoid. So a couple of times over the next year, again, I would see a tiny bit of blood. Nothing insane. Nothing ever like it was that time. Never at the same time as the pain. So these two things are happening sort of simultaneously. Well, in January of 2018, I get this crazy, this pain again, and it's so bad that I start throwing up. And it lasts, you know, a few hours like it does, and then it goes away, and I was like, okay, something's really going on. But it didn't take until the next time it happened in February that it lasted for like a day that I finally decide I'm going to go and get it checked out. Because before then, it was like, oh, I have this pain. It's related to gallbladder. Oh, I have this bleeding. It's related to hemorrhoids. Clearly, it's explained. I'm fine. Like, I know why these things are happening. It wasn't nothing ominous had occurred to me, really. Although, looking back, there was a little, like, intuition-y kind of thing. Sure, I was going to ask head. you that, yeah. Yeah, I can't say that there wasn't. But you don't want to think that anything is terribly wrong. So, of course. Right, of course your mind does not go to, like, oh, something's terribly wrong. You don't want it no, to. No, you don't want it to be. So, you're yeah. like... Because if you go, then it's, you know, because in all things, including right now, by the way, the scariest part is before you have the answers. Yeah, the unknown. The unknown, the like, the what if, the, my therapist calls it being in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Like the waiting, you're waiting for the door to open. You don't know what the door is going to be, but once the door opens and you see what you're dealing with, the hallway is just like, you know, what is it? So sometimes you got to decorate your hallway and make it lovely, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> anyway, so um, I have this terrible pain. I go to the um, urgent care. They're like, we don't have the, it's too late in the day. It's a Saturday. If we don't have the, we can't do the imaging. You have to go to the ER, but you need to go. So I go to the ER, they do the imaging. And this story, it's my favorite story. I think of a whole thing that happened because I have this resident who's helping me and she's like 12 and she is all, you know, Dakota fanning, wide eyes, beautiful. Like, like she blinks in her eyelashes, like make a breeze, you know, like she's just like lovely and looks like it is her first day on the job and is being, you know, trying to help as best she can. And in my mind, 
the conversation outside my 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 hospital room is like, okay, Becky, you got to learn to how to how to start giving bad news. So you got to go in there and tell her what's going on. She's like, I have to say me now, but me, you want me to do this? And they're like, yep, you got to do it. Time, you got to learn. <laughs> so they like shove her in, you know, in my mind. And so she comes in and she's like, so trembling lip. They found suspicious thickening in your colon. And I was like, what? What does that mean? And she's like, I'm so sorry. And she like kind of starts to cry and she puts her hand on my knee and I'm like, Oh what my god. Are you saying I have cancer? Like, what are you saying? And she was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay. And then, like, somebody else comes in, and it's all kind of a blur after that. But it's kind of hilarious to me that she's, like, I mean, she's not weeping openly, but there are tears, and she is very upset to have to tell me this. And then, of course, I'm crying and trying to figure out what the hell to do and all of that. And that sets into a whole chain of things where I have to, like, get a colonoscopy, and I have to... You know, that takes like a month to get all that scheduled. I finally get the colonoscopy and the awesome, my awesome gastroenterologist who I adore tells Christopher, my husband, yes, it's cancer. She has, she has colon cancer. At that point, they knew it was stage two and they were like, okay, so you need to have surgery. We're going to take it out. We're going to take like a foot out of your colon and, um, you know, we'll check your lymph nodes and, you know, that's where we go from here. And we were like, we were supposed to go to Hawaii in three days for spring break. And my gastroenterologist is like, go. What's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen in three days, like in a week. Like, you'll be fine. My very conservative French surgeon was like, I'm not comfortable with this. You cannot go. And what if you have a blockage? You know, la, la, la. But eventually he was like, okay, well, Hawaii is, is you know, they have the University of Hawaii. Just, you know, be careful or whatever. So we go to Hawaii. It's beautiful. I'm like on the beach. I'm meditating. I'm like drawing cancer in the sand and letting the ocean wash it away. I'm like zen, <laughs> as, as, as zen as I can possibly be. And meanwhile, I'm mainlining milk of magnesia so that like nothing gets stuck in there. Like, but the blessing is, is that Hawaii has bidets on every toilet. So I'm like, good. I'm, you know, you're like, good to go. <laughs> I'm so good. Yeah, so we get through our lovely vacation. It's awesome. We have the best time. The girls have a blast. I've never been to Hawaii. It's such a beautiful place. It's such a healing place. So it was really kind of the best way to come back and go into surgery. So I go back. I go into surgery. They take out like 15 lymph nodes. It is in some of the lymph nodes. So at that point, we know that it's stage three. But they take out the lymph nodes that are affected. Everything seems to be okay. I had previously had another not like benign tumor in my liver. The surgeon like looks up at my liver. He checks it out. He's like, there's nothing there. You're good. We got it all. You're cancer free. Awesome. Now we can look towards oncology and doing the chemo that you need to do and all of that. So yay. Great. Then we do the PET scan and they're like, no lies. It's totally in your liver and in your lung. So let's talk about the options. Holy moly. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, what, how do you feel when you get that diagnosis, when you're told that? I mean, it's terrifying, but it's like, I felt very lucky for a number of reasons. First of all, colon cancer is incredibly easy to treat. It is well-researched. There's lots of different kinds of chemotherapies and 
immunotherapies and biologic drugs that work on this kind of cancer. And I didn't have anybody telling me this is a death sentence. They were just like, this is what's happening. This is how we treat it. And for me, when I get the information, then I can go to work. Yeah. So. Because you're a doer. You are a doer. I am a doer. I am a doer. I'm also kind of a little bit of a Pollyanna. I tend to be kind of naive. Like, I don't know why this is happening to me. And trust, there were also many pity parties and lots of tears and whining because it does feel intensely personal. Like, it does feel like God is looking at a group of people and he's like, with his fingers, like, you, you get this. This is yours. And I was like, what, like, you know, karmically, am I a terrible person? Why did I, why do I, why, why, why? Lots of that. So yes, I don't want to make it sound like I was like, no problem. I totally got this because I was freaking out. Can I cuss on this? Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I was freaking the out. Like, yes, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I was like, whatever. This is easy. This is easy. It's no problem. It's going to be totally fine. But I was like, all right, we know what to do. Nobody's saying anything other than these are the steps that we can take to save your life. These are, you know, we're talking curative measures here. These are the words they're using with me. Like I have a good friend who got diagnosed three months after me. And then he had a friend who got diagnosed three months after him. So by the way, colon cancer is the fastest rising cancer in people under 50. So you got to check your poop. Like I know somewhere between 10 and 15 people now under the age of 50 that have or had it. So wow, it's out there. It's everywhere. People are getting it all the time and it's treatable. It's curable. It's livable. It's all of these things, but you know, you gotta, you gotta stay on top of it. So then it's, I'm, I, they're telling me stage four. So I was like, okay, what's the plan? So you're going to have 12 rounds of chemo. You're gonna, we're going to do um, radiation on the thing in the lung and we're going to have surgery on the thing in the liver. And I was like, all right, let's go. So we start the chemo. I also have this, I can't remember the name of the biologic drug that I took, but they were like, you might get a rash from this biologic drug. And, you know, we'll just suggest it if that happens. I mean, Nick, it was like my whole face was covered in cystic acne. It hurt so bad. I, oh, I am a vain lady. And let me tell you, looking at my face in the mirror, that was harder than almost any of the other side effects because it hurt, it itched, and I looked like a leper. Like it was terrible. So they were like, huh, we think maybe this isn't the best drug for you. So we're going to go ahead and take you off that. So I didn't have that again. I still have scars to this day. It's still, my skin has not, I mean, that was 2018 and it's still. Hasn't fully healed. So they put me on, there's two different forms of chemo that they do. There's a a drug that has platinum in it that causes you to like, you can't eat anything or touch anything cold because it's like glass in your mouth. Like it hurts. So anytime I would have that for like that, the next, like that day. And then the next like five days, I could only drink like lukewarm or hot liquids. I couldn't touch anything in the refrigerator. I wore gloves all the time. It was summer and I was constantly in in, in gloves and um, so I was on oxaliplatin, I was on irinotecan and leucovorin, which are like a folic acid and another drug. 
And then I was on this other drug called 5-FU, which is hilarious to me that they call it that. And that I like wore as a pump and it like, I have a thing in my chest that's called a port cath where they insert, where they do all the infusion therapy through this port. What does your body feel like when all of that stuff is going into your body? Dude, it's insane. Actually on my Facebook page, and I think I made them public, is I did a series over the course of the day. So you could see like at the beginning of the day, you're like pretty much fine. And then you get like more and more of these drugs. The weirdest thing that would happen, like you'd have to get, they give you this one drug that like, because of one of the chemos, like would make your stomach like seize. And if you don't have this particular drug, then your stomach would tease up. So I'd have to get that. They'd give me Ativan. So by the end of the day, you're just sort of like wrecked. And I also had this totally weird side effect. The center of letters disappeared. So if I'm looking at, say, my phone or I'm trying to read a book or a magazine or something, it was like every letter was an outline and the middle was gone. I don't know any other way to explain it than that. Like, it was the weirdest thing. And nobody had ever heard of that. And they were like, that's completely bizarre. It would only happen when I had chemo. And then I would go to sleep and then wake up the next day and it would be gone. But it was totally bizarre. And they gave me a bunch of steroids. So, like, the first day, I was just sort of, like, wrecked. And then over the course of the next few days, it would be like, you would get tireder and sicker. And it would feel, for me, it was like kind of like a fluey, like an achy, like a body aches, definitely nauseous. How do you maintain like raising kids and having a life during this? I just did. I, I don't know any other way to explain it other than like, sometimes they had cereal for dinner and sometimes, because Christopher was there a lot, but he works out of town. And yeah. so sometimes, you know, and my mom would come over and it wasn't like I didn't have any help. People would organize meal trains and stuff like that, or they would send something or, you know, I would just order a pizza. And it was like the actual downtime. So I'd have this every three weeks. So I'd have like about five days when I was like pretty down for the count. But the rest of the time, I was really lucky. And I think that some of that I can credit. I started doing kundalini yoga at that point, which is a gentle physical yoga. It's not, you know, it's really more about the mantras, the kriyas, the, you know, kind of breath work. And it's very allowing of you to kind of meet the practice where you are. Mm -hmm. You know, having that to go to was a reason to be kind of getting up. And, you know, not wanting my children to be afraid, right? I didn't want them to see me giving in to anything. I didn't want it to look like I was sicker than I was. Although, I, you know, when I tell these stories and I talk about, like, what I did and the surgeries, I, it sounds insane to me because I was like, I did that. I was there. And yet I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Well, it had to have been almost like you didn't want to believe it because you had to keep going in order to survive. You do. You have to keep going. So I, I just, I would. And if there was a day when I just absolutely couldn't do it, I remember we were out at a restaurant once and getting lunch and, and I was sitting there and I hit a wall and I was like, I have to go home right now. So, you know, sometimes there were times like that. There's also a, a nerve in your, I can't remember whether it's in like, it's in your digestive system somewhere in, in, in one of your intestines, maybe it's in your colon or, which is the same thing as your large intestine. And in case somebody did not know that the colon is the large intestine, 
I have to say, I did not know that until I got diagnosed. I thought they were two different things, but they're not. The things you learn. The more you know. Anyway, I, it's somewhere in maybe in the colon or whatever. There's like this nerve called the vasovagal nerve. Yeah. And if it gets stimulated wrong, which can happen on chemo, then like your body sends like a ton of water into your intestines to sort of help you. They call it dumping. It like dumps all this water into your intestines and you get like super lightheaded and you feel like you're going to faint and it's like very dramatic. And so I found that like if I ate too big a meal or too many spices, not spicy, but spices, like, you know, like if I ate like a yummy, but you know, like a mild curry or something that might like send me over or like, you know, I, I just learned how to eat a little bit more intelligently. And so you just sort of learn to manage and understand like, okay, these five days, I'm going to need more help. If Christopher's out of town, I need my mom to come and stay with me while I'm on chemo. I had really lovely friends that like, if Christopher couldn't be there for my doctor's appointment, they would come to my doctor's appointments with me. They would come with me to chemo. I could not have, I mean, like they were really, I couldn't have done it without them. My, my friends really sort of rallied in a lot of ways and it was great. It sounds like you also had to listen to your intuition, speaking of that intuition. Yeah, you do. And I mean, that was sort of where my spiritual practice came in and where this why sort of came about. So, you know, I do the chemo, I'm doing all of these things. And, I, and meanwhile, I'm like, I'm meditating, I'm thinking, I'm like, why, why, why is this happening? And my husband is this master manifester. I watch him manifest things for himself all the time. It's amazing. Maybe not exactly in the way that he thought it was going to happen, but like ultimately what he says that is going to happen, that's what, he, what happens. Down to the fact that currently we have a home in Los Angeles and a home in Vancouver and our children are being raised in two different countries. These are things that we always said that we wanted to do. And here we are in the midst of a pandemic, still able to work, having the experience that we always said that we wanted to have. I'm feeling very lucky, by the way. I do not take any of that for granted. So crazy manifester. And I would tell anybody that would listen to me, you can have exactly the life that you want. You can have anything that you want. There is enough for everyone. Everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone is worth what they want. All of those things. I believe that so much for everybody. But for me, it felt like hubris. It felt like I was, how dare I want that for myself? Mm. So... One day I'm sitting there and I open the mail and there's a handicapped disabled parking placard. I hate parking. It's a complete source of stress for me anywhere I go. Where am I going to park? Is there going to be parking? Am I going to have to walk a long way? I don't know why. It's just a triggery thing for me. It's the weirdest thing. It's really dumb because there's always parking, but I stress about it. And I hold it in my hand. I remember so clearly I was looking at this disabled placard and I was like, holy shit, I just manifested Rockstar parking for myself for a year. I don't have to worry about parking for a year. What else did I just manifest? What did I just get from this? What is happening that I have always said that I wanted and it's happening all as a result of me getting this cancer? And it was a ton of stuff. It was like, I'm focusing less on social media and my computer. I'm more present with my kids. I'm developing a spiritual practice. I'm feeling closer to God. I'm having a relationship with God. I'm losing weight, which is absurd because of course I was, but like I'm losing weight and I don't even have to try. And it's like staying off. And like, <laughs> I mean, like 
I don't recommend that diet plan, but like, you know, they were all of these things that I had said, I want these things. And here they were, I had brought it all about. And nobody was telling me that I was going to die. Nobody was saying, well, you have, you know, two years, you've got stage four cancer. It's, you, you know, you got about two years. No, they're like, okay, these are the things that we can do. This is a curative measure. We can do these things. This is, you know, we have lots of options. Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, all right. So I suddenly was like, is that what this is about? Am I here to learn really what the power of manifestation is and how like things never happen exactly how you think they're going to happen, but they happen. So it was a huge day for me. And I was like, man, okay. So this is all a big lesson in manifestation and the power of that. And I think that that's continued throughout this thing because I went through all my chemo. I had the surgery. I went back on chemo for a minute more just to finish it out. I thought it was done in fall of 2019. I have another scan and it's back. So I was like, all right, I got this. Let's do it again. So we did it all again. And again, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm doing my meditation. I'm not doing it as much. And I always feel a little bit like, you know, I work it in more. Like life is busier now. I'm learning to sort of live more with this. It's becoming, and this is what they say. And I kind of don't even really want to accept this, but they call it now. It's like sort of a chronic, like diabetes. They watch it. You get a flare up. They treat the flare up. You have some chemo, you have a, a, a surgical procedure or whatever, they get rid of it. You continue this very frequent monitoring, lots of scans, lots of, you know, making sure that your blood work is coming back, nothing's showing up. Um, so they can catch anything before it becomes an issue. So I'm learning to sort of just live my life doing all these things. So I go in for my radiation this summer. One of the spots on my lung is completely gone just through the chemo and maybe me. And then they radiate the other one. I have the surgery on the liver. That's gone. Mid-August, they do a scan and there's like a pea-sized little blip on my liver. And they're like, they think that they got it all when they do the surgery, but maybe this is just like a little bit left over from that. Maybe, you know, whatever. My interventional radiologist, that's the guy that did this procedure where they like go in and like burn it off. They just like stick a little needle in and like burn off this little blip. He was like, looking back, I can see where this was growing before. And I was like, okay, so I want you to look at my scan and tell me if you see any of those. Like, I yeah. can see. He's like, hey, you know, like, do you see anything that looks like that looked now so that I know in like three more months, we're going to find another one of these little jobs. And he was like, nope, I don't see anything. Nothing is to the naked eye. There's nothing. How have you not only maintained a career during this, but actually like grown during it? I think it's an issue of timing and an issue of focus and necessity, right? Something else to focus on, certainly. I mean, you started, you started a business during this. We did. We did. We started our own production company. We make Christmas movies and seasonal rom-coms and family fair for Disney Channel and things like that. Things that make people happy and people feel good. And I love it. Like, I love, you know, I have the best writing partner, my best friend, Casey. People can't see you, but I can see you because we're, we're, we're recording this on Zoom. And your face has lit up. 
is lit up just talking just the moment I mentioned the new business and what you're doing, you've just like exploded. It's beautiful to see. I think it's important work. And some people may poo-poo the, the, the necessity of the Hallmark movie, you know, or the, the, the seasonal rom-com. And because obviously there are lots of networks that are, are making these wonderful films. They're so important. People need hope and joy and happiness and getting to write them with my best friend and laugh about the characters we're creating and make these amazing stories up. It's, I think leading with that joy will create that. So, you know, we, we, we sort of lucked into an opportunity a few years before I got diagnosed and kind of kept building on it. Meanwhile, Christopher was also building his own career as a producer. And, you know, we were in the middle of this thing. It was, you know, mid-2018. And I'm in the middle of chemo. I'm in the middle of all of this stuff. And, but I'm feeling like I'm manifesting for days. Like it's going, like I feel like I got a handle on what that means and how I can utilize it and how I can be realistic about it. And we were, he was like, is this the dumb time to start a business? And I was like, I think this is the perfect time to start a business. I think we believe in ourselves now more than we ever did. And if we're going to do it, let's, let's do it. So we did. We made more money in 2019 than we've like ever made in our lives. It was amazing. The joy was following the success or the success was following the joy. It was all lovely and we had an awesome year. We made great movies. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, how has, how has that journey, uh-huh. how has that journey affected the, your writing? The, the, how has the cancer affected my writing? Yeah, like that whole journey, everything you've been through. Well, I will tell you, two things happened. One, oh, that was another thing that I wanted to manifest, actually, that happened. Casey is so unbelievably talented. She is a brilliant creative writer. The ideas that she has in her brain, the voices, the dialogue that she writes, I just think that she is so talented. I believe in her so, so much. But she gets in her own way a lot. And she doesn't always have the, or she didn't always have the sort of confidence to get herself started. One of the byproducts of, and I had always said that I wanted her to be able to have that, like to be able to, not that she didn't need me to, to do her part of, of what we do in our, in our collaboration, but like I wanted her to have the confidence and the ability to know that she could do it without me. And she was forced to, because there were times when I literally just couldn't. So that was another thing that happened through that. So what happened with the writing was that Casey and I got very clear about our roles and what we really liked to do within our collaboration and how we work together as writers. I kind of, in many ways, I don't put up with a lot of bullshit anymore. I feel more confident about asking for what I want and need from directors and uh, producers whether they're my husband or not. (laughs) I know what I'm worth. I know what we're worth. What we should be asking for as far as, you know, getting paid for these, these movies. So I think creatively, I think that it's helped with focus. We did write one movie that was about a, um, a single dad, a widower 
who had a daughter, his, his wife had died and we never said how he died, how she died, um, just that she had been sick. And, um, that was the only thing that we wrote that even came close to our story. But what was interesting is that it didn't even occur to me that that was my story, that that was even close to my story. Christopher's on set and he was like, this is kind of tough. And I was like, huh, I didn't really think that. <laughs> I was like, that, cause that's not my story. That's, I, I have lots of other stories and there have been certainly lots of ups and downs within this. And again, I want to be very clear. I am not like saying I got it all figured out. I'm not hearing that. What I'm hearing is that you put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other, and kept this faith. You kept this belief in yourself that you were going to not only survive, but you were going to thrive through this. Had to. I don't think that I really wanted to make any other choice because I wasn't willing to accept the alternative. I mean, I just was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So we're just not, that's just not going to happen. I think there is a danger in that though, because, and this is something that I sort of struggle with a lot. It's an interesting thing to watch being in the cancer community because there is this like feeling of if you just keep that positive attitude and you're manifesting or whatever, well, some people do that and they still don't make it. Yeah. And what's that about? Like, so there's this like guilt and there's also this weird like pressure. If I don't do it right, then I'm going to let myself down. I'm going to let everybody I love down because I'm going to die. And and then somehow I've, I've done it wrong. I'm not, I don't know, like it's my fault that I didn't do it correctly. I didn't, I didn't hold fast enough to my positive outlook. I didn't do enough affirmations. I didn't do enough prayer. I didn't do enough. And I think that's dangerous because there are lovely people who do all of those things and have a different outcome. So that's what I say. I think why I say I don't want to sound like I feel like I have it all figured out because I don't want somebody listening to this to think, well, my partner did all of those things and they didn't, you know, they died. They didn't deserve to die. They did all the things. So there is still that like arbitrary whateverness. I don't know. So ultimately, I just encourage anybody that I come across to be sort of gentle with themselves, to find their own kind of spiritual practice within this, to focus on the things that bring them joy, to try to live a little bit more moment to moment. One of the hardest things about this is I'll hear somebody plan like, oh, next year I want to go to Italy, you know, before COVID, whatever. Oh, next year we for spring break next year we should do this and i still think about my life in terms of six month increments mm -hmm. i don't really plan anything that far out but i did the other day i was talking to a friend and i said something about five years from now and i didn't even think about it and it just came out and then a few minutes later i was like oh my god like i haven't said that in two and a half years beautiful so what is five years from now Five years from now is... What are you manifesting? Oh, I'm manifesting such joy. I'm manifesting perfect partners. I'm manifesting perfect relationships, perfect love, healthy children, healthy, you know, the health of the people that I love, the health of the world. There's so much to be thankful for within all of this and to be grateful for. 
I think it's important to just focus on those things. I was once speaking at a, a, at a conference and I said, I wanted to live a big life. I wanted to live an extraordinary life. I wanted to live a life where I helped people and I inspired people and I influenced people in a positive way. And yet again, that is a result of me going through all of this. I've found, you know, there have been opportunities to talk about things with, you know, people like you that I would not have had. Yeah. Had I not had this story. So I often joke, I'm like, I didn't, I should have been a little more specific, maybe not without the like life threatening disease, maybe I could have been. <laughs> but, I, you know, um, here we are. You really have inspired so many people and you are today. Thank you for sharing all of this. Honestly, you uh, have really given me pause about my health, certainly about listening to my health, to listen to that intuition, to stepping one foot in front of the other, and honestly about living for today, right now. Yeah. I love the quote, worry is a misuse of imagination. Yeah. You can focus on what could go wrong and you can focus on what could go right. But most of the time in the moment that you're in, you're okay. Mm -hmm. But we worry, like we stress about like what I said, did I hurt their feelings? What did I do? Did I do it wrong? And we worry, am I going to get sick? Is the cancer going to come back? Is, is, am I going to get COVID? Am I going to lose my job? Is something going to happen to someone that I love? We worry about these things that are not happening right now so and we don't know i mean nobody's guaranteed anything like who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow so it is trite but it's true like focusing on the present moment allows you to to sit in joy in a different way look there's a reason things are trite it's because they're true that's right 100 percent, 100 percent. so thank you thank you for sharing absolutely where can everyone go find you where can they see your where can they see your films? How can they find you and follow your journey? They can follow me on Instagram at Ali Spuck. That's A-L-I-S is in Sam, P is in Peter, U-C-K. Ali Spuck rhymes with luck and you know, other stuff. And other and other stuff. <laughs> Trust me. All the, the, the teasing when I was a kid. But now, you know, I'm a mother spucker, right? <laughs> It's good. I embrace it. I'm spectacular. Um, you know, I can I can go on forever with the spuck. Uh, what's the spuck? You know, my hashtag is cancer like a mother. They can find me through that. Um, I'm mostly just on Instagram. All the movies are on IMDb. There's stuff on Hallmark. There's stuff on Disney Plus. Now every time somebody goes to watch one of these, because we all watch them at the holidays, right? We really and do. Thank you. And yes. people pretend like some people pretend like I shouldn't say some people pretend like they don't, but they do. We all watch these. And now everyone's gonna go look for your name in the credits to find your film. I hope so. Lone Star Christmas is airing on Lifetime December 14th. It's a fun little little movie and it's on in December. So I'm excited about that. Can't wait to see it. We just wrapped another one that's gonna come out next year. And yeah, so things are continuing on. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Please rate, write us a review, and subscribe so we can spread the word and other solopreneurs just like you can find us.